here's what we're wanting to do over these next few weeks. I'm going to be very careful about how we move forward in this series. Because what we're going to be talking about is worship. And specifically, we're not going to be talking about singing songs. We're not going to be talking about what we do in a worship service. We're, you know, we're not going to be approaching what we can you know, usually, traditionally consider worship. But we're going to be talking about what are those things in our lives that have that center stage of our thoughts and our hopes and our dreams. Because the truth is, all of us worship something. Every person in the world, no matter what they claim is their religious affiliation, they have a worship of something. There's something within us that we desire to pursue. We desire to be near. We desire to emulate. Now, what I want to be careful about is in, in church circles, there are a few kind of ways we can trip up here. One is, is that we take the entire conversation about worship and we make it about music. When music is the only source of worship, then your worship is always going to be very shallow. Because that's just a portion. That's just a piece. There's a whole other life of what's going on in worship within your heart than what happens through your mouths or through your ears or through your hands or if you're a musician. There's so much more to what worship truly is. And I'm going to be asking you over the next few weeks to consider some, some hard things. And one of those is to analyze what do you really worship in your life. And here's what I know about myself and about most people is I may or may not truly at any given moment know what is holding that center stage in my life. Now, I know if someone were to ask me, I know what I should say, but is that really where my heart is at any given time? And what we're going to find and the reason that we're calling this consumed is that you can be consumed with what you worship or you can be consumed by it. There's some good and some bad that go along with being consumed. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be discussing and talking about and looking at different ways that we do that within our own lives. So I hope you'll be here. It's a three-week series, and uh, we're really going to do some, some great stuff with that. My, my beginning question for you, worship starts in the heart, always. It starts in the heart. We will bow to something within our lives that we choose to worship. My question to you is, to what for you? See, worship is not just that thing that we like. It's not that thing that we love. It's not that thing that we emulate. Worship, the things that we worship, we will actually bow our knees to and sit in reverence of because we have found that that thing or that someone or that something is the most important thing that there could ever be. I want you to consider what are the things that you bow your knees to? What are the things that lead you into worship? Are those things leading you to a place of being consumed for greater things or being consumed by them so that at the end of the day they take away all the pieces of who you ever thought you wanted to be? What is worship? If you look up a basic definition, it's a feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for something or someone. We are revering them. We hold them in high esteem. We are adoring, praising. We are thanking. We are saying this is the most important thing that there is. So this 
is what we worship. Now, what does worship look like for us? It can look like a lot of different things. This is what we're doing this morning can be worship. Worship can be what we're doing sitting in our houses watching TV. If it's the show that we will, we will kill any relationship. I don't care who you are. If we're with you and our show comes on, we're going to be watching that show. I don't care if you get mad or not. You know, there, we can worship many things. We saw worship just in the last few days of sporting events. Now, if I watch the Super Bowl, does that mean I worship football? No. One of the challenges we also, as we enter into a a discussion about worship, we have to be careful about is the church has been real bad about saying that unless you do everything A, B, and C, you are in real trouble. And the problem is, just as we looked at over the last few weeks, God is such a creative God that when we push everything down into a formula or one way of doing things, we ignore the creative nature of who God is. And then they brought that into us. So we've got to be very careful that we don't have some strange mindset that says, if I'm good with God, then I worship him all the time. I only listen to Christian radio. And when I listen to it, I only listen to the good songs. And, and some people even go so far as say, well, I really only listen to the songs that are theologically and doctrinally correct. And, you know, you, everything breaks down at some point, right? And so we can take that too far. And we can ignore the vast creative nature of God and how he creates us differently. And so we express ourselves differently. However, we have to answer the question, what is the deepest motivation of our hearts? Where is that leading us? The truth is that if we are to believe anything that the Bible says, there is a longing in our souls to know our Redeemer. There is a longing within us, a deep longing to say, I want to know the one that brings salvation. I want to know the one that brings life. I want to know the one that brings rescue. But that longing can be misunderstood, it can be misdirected, it can be passed on to something that cannot hold us, it cannot validate our worship. We all have some longing within our souls, and the truth is, we all have a similar longing for our souls. Where is it taking us? Where is it taking you? As you get to the end of your life, will you look back and say, the things where I focused my attention, the places where I gave my heart were worthy and worthwhile? Or will we get to the end and go, what was I thinking? See, no matter where you are in life, you have already have some of those things, right? There are some things I look back on my past and I go, man, that was awesome. I mean, we would totally do that again if we got to do this over. And then there are things that I look back and go, yeah, we would not do that if we could keep from it. We all have these things that take our attention that become important to us. Revelation 4.11 talks about why God himself is worthy. It says, worthy are you, O our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. You know, we're living in a, we're living in a world that's rapidly changing around us. As we look at the last couple of hundred years of our nation and we look at how our lives have changed in just the last couple hundred years, we have seen massive changes. We've seen massive changes in the last 30 years. It's funny when Deidre and I talk to the kids about what life was like for us, same thing our parents did whenever we were growing up. 
And they say, well, you know, you have it easy because, you know, when we were kids, we were talking about radio stations. Not that that's a huge, you know, pivot point for life. But we, we've got serious satellite radio in our car. Does anybody else have that? It's good stuff, right? It's on the Bluegrass Channel. Did you know there's a Bluegrass Channel? You should go check it out because, uh, we, you know, occasionally Jake will listen to the Bluegrass Channel. He loves it. You should see him get down. We could, could tune it in right now and get a little sample. No, I'm just kidding. You won't do that to him. But I was telling him, you guys don't know how easy you have it. Because when we listened to the radio, we didn't see who was singing the song, what the name of the song was. We just had the numbers of the radio station on the dial, right? Yeah, we had it hard. We had it really hard. You know, our parents, they didn't even have radio in some of their cars, much less seatbelts. And then we're going to have within my lifetime cars that are driving themselves without anybody in the driver's seat. We are, they're already here. It's, a, it's amazing how things change. And when we live in a time when things are changing so rapidly, it's so easy to be distracted because they're all neat, cool, fun things. But it draws our attention away from what has been longstanding, what is foundational what has mattered through all time, not just in this time. When we read through places like Revelation 4, we find places where people notice that when it all is said and done, there is one who has created all things, and his will is the one that matters. He is the one that matters. Now, what I know is that you have a lot of voices telling you right now what's most important. You have a lot of voices telling you this is the way you're supposed to be. This is what your focus is supposed to be on. This is what the desires of your heart should be. You, you're getting messages at home from the people you care about. You're getting messages from media, whether you watch TV or whether you listen to the radio or whether you are you know, on the Internet. You're getting all these messages saying this is what you need. This is what will make your life mean something. You're getting messages at work that say you need to be focused on this. This needs to be the driving focus of your life if you're going to work here. And so you have all of these things telling you this is what you're supposed to make most important in your life. And the problem with all those voices is they often drown out the one that really matters. And that is the one in which his will created all things. All things that are, including us, exist because of him. Psalm 29, 2 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. So this is an instruction to worship him because he's worthy, because it's due him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. There are things that are worthy of worship and there are things that are not. And the problem is whenever we begin to focus our worship in any given place, if it cannot hold it, it will lead us to be consumed till we feel that we have nothing left. Psalm 115, where we're going to spend most of the rest of our time this morning, says this. Verse 1, Psalm 115. Not to us. Right off the bat. Goes right into the face. 
of what most of the voices that you hear around you are telling you to worship. Most of the voices you will hear throughout your life tempting you to shift your worship to something that is inferior says, make it about me. It's about me. about what I want. It's about my desires. It's about my hopes. It's about my success. It's about where I want to be in the future. And the thing is, is we look at people and we see examples that they have totally succeeded in our mind of what success is. And they have focused on themselves and they have revolved their entire world around their own personal pleasure. And we just watch them become a sadder and sadder and an emptier person. Because you and I cannot withstand the measure of worship. We're not worthy. Psalm 115. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. As we read that, it just reminds me and it reminds me of what has been for for many generations, but what is becoming so obvious now is that we live in a world that wants to judge God for how he acts. You know, if you walk into work and you walk up to your boss and you tell him everything that your boss does wrong, what does your job security look like moving forward? Now, I, well, your boss may be the worst boss that has ever lived. They may not deserve the role that they're in. There may be no other company in the world that would put them in the role that they're in. Maybe they are that guy or that girl. But you understand that they have a level of authority in which you are, do not have the freedom in which to act. Now, some of you don't recognize that and you think, I do have the authority and you're looking for a job right now, right? I do have the authority. I'll say what I want to say. They're not going to stop me from saying, well, that's fine. Just make sure you've got a good slush fund in your bank account if you want to do that. We recognize that some people have authority and we give them that due authority because they have been given that position. However, when it comes to God, we somehow think your authority comes from whether we give it to you or not. And God does not act based on our permission. Yet many people believe he should. That's why we want to judge God and we want to say God should have done this in this situation. And some of them we look at and we think, oh, that's so silly that somebody would do that. But then in others, when someone that we care about or a child is hurt and we say, God, why did you let that happen? Are, are you really good? See, bad things happen and we question God. But that does not change the fact that he is the authority. God was here before us. God spoke and made all of this happen. Our role is not to be equal with him. He is God and he alone is God. And one of the responses in, these, in verse 3 of chapter 115 is simply this. He lives in the heavens. He does what he wants. At some level, the role of repentance is for us to say, God, you do what you want. And we read this time and time again through scripture where he talks about the potter and the clay. We discussed that in our last series. He's going to mold what he wants. It's not for us to say, God, I can't believe you did that. He's going to do what he wants to do. In other places, he says, why would you judge what I choose to do? I am God and you are not. 
If I choose to offer you to be made into this pristine vessel that everyone admires, then that's my prerogative. And if I choose to put you into something that ultimately feels that it will be destroyed, that's up to me to do as well. See, God has the authority. And when we get that out of whack and we begin to put ourselves in a place of authority, either equal with God or above God, we begin to be consumed because our object of worship becomes ourselves. He is worthy. He does not owe us an explanation. He does not owe us anything, but he has given us salvation. So why do we hold ourselves on the same level as him when we can't offer ourselves anything? Verse 4, it goes on talking about those who choose other gods. It says, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they don't speak. Eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. They have feet, but they do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. In other words, they have fashioned this idea of something that's worthy of worship, but it is meaningless. Has no value or ability for anything, and yet it is held up as worship. And the truth is, if we're not careful, even if we attend a church, we may actually be worshiping an idol and not God. And they are meaningless. So when we begin to talk about worship, we have to understand that we can choose the wrong thing to worship. We can choose something that's not helpful, it's not healthy. Instead, it leads us to ruin and it leads us to destruction. I said that we will worship something. You all, I worship something. There's nothing that you have to do, not a process you have to go through. You don't have to go through a class. You don't have to get a certain age. You are going to be born with a need to worship something. That goes back to the very first created people. It was built within us to worship the creator. And like so much of what it looks like to live a life following Christ, we have to choose where we will spend our time and our hearts. We have to choose that. And we have to choose wisely because we see people who have gone after these things that cannot sustain worship and they end up being destroyed by them. In our formative musical years, some of the examples that I think of are celebrities that we put on a pedestal and we dress like them. And we talk about them and we put them on our profile pictures and our cover photos. And we talk about, oh, how awesome they are. And I could just meet them. And it's just so wonderful. And we've been reading in the news over this last week is a terrible tragedy of someone who, whose life may be over. Because worship was out of whack. We watched Whitney Houston kind of rise through the ranks. Her voice could just, oh, it was just incredible amazing what she could do she just seemed to be the number one artist that ever would be and yet her worship shifted i don't i don't know all the details of her life but her worship shifted and she and her husband began to worship other things and as drugs came into their life it ruined them ended her life, ruined their careers, and now their daughter 
may lose her life to follow down the same path of worship. See, there's so many things we worship. We do worship celebrities. It's crazy that we put celebrities, because they are good at acting, on to determine political events in the world. Dennis Rodman negotiating with North Korea does not put my heart at peace. Do you know what I'm saying? It doesn't make me feel confident about the direction of world events. Whenever we have an election and we put entertainers up to give their professional opinion of political events around the world, it makes me a little nervous. Do you know what I'm saying? And, but we have put them in a level of authority. Because they're celebrities? No. Because they're successful. And many of us worship success. We worship status. That's why so many of our Facebook walls are not filled with the truth of our lives. They're filled with what we want people to think, right? Man, the kids were great today, even though you just about knocked out two of them before dinner, right? We only talk about the good stuff because we worship status. Does my life appear better than yours? And here is, here is where being consumed comes into play. I will work my entire life to make my life look better than yours. The whole while I feel empty inside. Who cares what it looks like on the outside if on the inside it's crumbling? That's how we live our lives. That's how worship out of whack becomes. We worship money and getting it. We worship things because we have to have them. We worship success because we want to beat everybody else in the game of life. We want all these things and they cannot sustain our worship. For some of you, you're like, well, I'm not materialistic, but I know a lot of people are. So you can worship all kinds of things. You can worship knowledge. I just want to learn. I just want to know more. And we all know somebody that does that because they like to tell us everybody else when they're wrong, right? They worship knowledge to know more than others. And so they make everybody around them feel like idiots because they don't know something. You can worship knowledge. Our culture worships individuality, even though our hearts yearn for community. Just let you do whatever you want. As long as you're happy with it, it doesn't matter. But there's never been a healthy culture in which individuality was held up over community. This is what we talked about a few weeks ago. You can't truly see the picture God is painting until you understand it in the lives of other people around you. God works and acts in community, not in us being individuals. You have individuality. But community is much more valuable, even though our society says, just do whatever you want. As long as you're happy, it's fine. We worship pleasure I just want to feel good. I just want to be happy. And so we orchestrate our lives only around the things that feel good. And we're seeing some of the problems that happen when we only want to feel good. We're seeing people who don't really want to work because sometimes work is work. If you're one of the few people that loves your job, you clock in, you can't wait, you daydream about going to work, that is good for you. 
But most people don't respond to work that way. And so work is something we avoid if it does not bring us pleasure, if that is what we worship. So we seek things that are pleasurable, which means we only get around friends that make us feel good about ourselves. And yet some of those friends that make us feel good about ourselves are really messed up folks. And we also need to be friends with some people that make us uncomfortable because they push us to be better than we are right now. We seek pleasure. And so there's something that we daydream about, but then we think about what it would take to get there. I'll have to go back to school. I'll have to change jobs. I'll have to take a pay cut in order to go do this thing that I believe is part of what I'm supposed to be doing in this world. That's too hard. I'm just going to, this is, let's just do what's easy. In the area of work, we actually have a whole group now of physicians that you can go to that understand that if they help bring you pleasure, you will pay them. And so they will help you get disability even when you're not disabled because they understand the culture seeking pleasure. But what we know is, is that when you stop making a contribution to the community, then you begin to become empty inside. And so we're seeing the rise of depression. We're seeing the rise of hopelessness. We're seeing the rise of people that don't know how to live their lives anymore because they've sought after something that could not hold their worship. I look around, you can tell I I worship fitness, right? (laughs) My whole life, all I am is fitness. I mean, I'm just fitness, fitness, fitness. Obviously, that's not true. But there are those that do. I got to be fit. And so it leads them to show other people how fit they are. It leads you to inappropriate ways of expressing your fitness. We can worship being fit. We can worship athletics. We can worship entertainment. There's lots of things we can worship that go beyond the obvious of these idols that are supposed to be gods. There's all kinds of things we can worship. Now, here's another cautionary point. In the church, what we tend to do is we tend to work in extremes, right? Worship God and only God. So we operate in these extremes, and we operate in such extremes that we begin to then place ourselves outside of the way God created us. Because God doesn't want us to ignore fitness. God doesn't want us to ignore success. God doesn't want us to ignore pleasure. God doesn't want us to ignore all those things. But God wants it to all be in proper perspective. And so we say, if you like music, then you can't love God. If you like sports, then you can't love God. If you are working hard, then you can't love God. That's not true. But once they take that point of worship, then things get really messed up. All of these play a part of the human experience. But they cannot sustain worship because they are not worthy of it. They are not worthy of it. Watch signing day. Some of it this week. Most of it, I just saw news clips. And I asked myself, why in the world do we do signing day for college students, for 18-year-olds to have the camera in their face that will never one time talk about their academics, even though they're supposed to be going to college but yet we shine the light on the athletic player. We don't shine the light on the one who will use their academics 
to change the world for good. We'll never see a signing day for that. We'll never see a signing day for this student has decided to embark on something that will make life better for the world. But we will see somebody because they carry a football or a basketball. Because our worship is out of whack. Do we give up football? Uh, Heck no. But do we make it the center? No. Because our worship gets out of whack. Psalm 115.8 says why this is important. It says those who make them, say it with me. What does it say? Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Now, this is where we're this is where we're spending our time in this series. Is we don't just understand worship is a place where we spend our time, but worship is actually what our lives begin to mimic. This is the danger of worshiping something that cannot withstand the worthiness of what should be worship, because it leads us to become like something that is a false copy. And we end up being cold and tired and empty. Because it wasn't worthy to sustain worship. The truth is, what we worship, we will become. Now, some of you are excited about that. You hope that's true because you want to be successful. So I'll just worship success more and I'll eventually become that. That's not how it works. This is what N.T. Wright says. This is just a great quote. Theologian N.T. Wright says, You become what you worship when you gaze in awe, admiration, and wonder at something or someone. You begin to take on something of the character of the object of your worship. Those who worship money become eventually human calculating machines. Those who worship sex become obsessed with their own attractiveness or prowess. Those who worship power become more and more ruthless. Because if you don't worship things that are worthy to be worshipped, it leads you to destruction and you will be consumed by it. You will be consumed by it. I love matches. If you're you're not an adult in this room, don't take that too far and you don't play with them. (laughs) I will tell you the most trouble I ever got in in my entire life so far uh, is playing with matches. And uh, I remember that uh, the, the beating that ensued was bad. <laughs> but I tried to light a pennant on my bedroom wall on fire to see how it burned. <laughs> now, some of you have already judged my parents for beating me. And I will tell you, I dis- I deserved way more than I got. Because I could have burned our house down and everybody in it. It was bad. I've always been fascinated with fire. I've always been fascinated watching it. We build a ca- I love building a campfire when we go camping. I love just hearing it pop. I love seeing the embers. I love the warmth it brings. Some of you have heard some of my camping st- fire stories, which are pretty comical at times, but I love fire. Here's the thing. There are different aspects of fire that I sometimes want to emulate in my life, 
But there are some aspects that I don't want to emulate, right? It's really cool, and I love these big, long matches. I don't have any reason to because we don't have a fireplace, but I went and bought some of these big, long matches. And I love when it just lights up and that smell. But y'all are going to smell in the back of the room in just a minute for the rest of the time because that's the way the smell goes. Because whenever it begins to burn, it's just this massive flame that ignites. And the sound of, it's great, I love it. You all knew I was weird. You just had no idea how weird I was. Yeah, thanks, Moji. Moji had a birthday today, I mean this week, by the way. How how old, Moji? 29. He's not going to say, making fun of my noises up here. Um, Anyways, yeah. (laughs) So do you see what's happening to the match? I don't know if you can see it, but can you maybe against my red shirt. You see what's happening? It's burning, right? Eventually, it's going to get to my fingers. I love the brightness. Now, at times when I'm at home and the lights go out and we, we light a match or a lighter or a candle, I love to have light where there was darkness. I love that. I don't like burning my fingers. But eventually what ends up happening is that thing that was so bright and so helpful eventually gets consumed, right? Eventually it's gone. And my question is, if we begin to understand what are the motives of our heart that we admire, that we love, that we begin to become like, is it something that leads us to a better place or is it something that just ends up being consumed and is all gone? You see, fire can be something that can be an incredible uh, help in life. Yeah, right. Need a new video operator next week too. But it can also be incredibly destructive. It can be incredibly destructive. Whatever you're worshiping right now, it is like a fire burning within you. You have determined it is the most valuable thing in life to pursue. And you are, regardless of whether you see it or not, you are beginning to become like it. Does that lead you to a place at the end of the day that you will be happy you got there? That is what will happen with worship. The question is, what are we becoming? What are we becoming? What are you becoming? What are you becoming in your life? What are you becoming at this stage of your life? If you have children, whatever you're becoming, you're passing that along to your children. What are they becoming? Because they're watching you. What's becoming of the people you work with? The people that you oversee and lead? What's becoming of your life? Because whatever you worship, that's where it's going. That's where it's going. Now the problem is, let's say we use athletics, for example. Every kid wants to be a professional something player. Whatever the sport is for them. And some will go on and they're able to do that. And we put them on a pedestal. And they make gobs and gobs of money if they have talent. And then they flame out after their career. And most of them will never hear from again. And we find that the majority of professional athletes will make millions of dollars over their career only to be broke 
within a couple of years after their career is over. And we never hear from them again. Because athletics is not worthy of our worship. And we do the same thing with our careers. I get trained in something. I become the best in my field. Well, I don't, but some of you do. Become the best in your field. And so you wrap your life around it. Until you realize that in order to stay there, you have to spend a ton of time there. And by the time you've done that, you don't have time for anybody else. So you are at the top of your field, but you go home and you are lonely. Because you not, have not invested in other people. And as I've shared before, at the end of the day, we will always value relationships much more than we value the stuff that we have. But it doesn't feel like that, especially when you're young. There are so many things we can worship. When we begin to talk about what does this look like in our lives of faith, and this is where I want to end today. When we begin to look at what does it look like in our lives of faith, I want to challenge you that the idea that Christianity is supposed to be this feel-good event, that everybody's just happy all the time, that is something that does not hold water. The idea that Christians are just perfect people and they never have problems and they never do anything wrong and they never need to ask for forgiveness, that does not hold water. The idea that if you love God, all of a sudden everything will fall into place, a job will fall into place, your home will fall into place, your family will fall into place, everything will just fall into place. That's not the way faith works. And most, if not all of you, already know that. But we push it on the unsuspecting person who is struggling in life, and we say, you know what, we, here's a chance to get them in our club. Hey, listen, all these problems you're having, just love Jesus and they'll all go away. And there's no wonder that they leave the church because they, it's not long before they realize, but he's not taking them all away. Because that's not what faith is. When something is worthy of worship, it's not just something worthy to be admired. It's something worthy of sacrificing, of giving something for. And if it is true that we will become like what we worship, then we will become more like the life Jesus led. And if you're a student at all of his life, you will find that he had some really hard, difficult things in his life, even though he was God. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Anytime the word sacrifice is in there, that it goes completely against the, the God of pleasure. Sacrifice does not equal pleasure in anybody's world. Sacrifice is taking something that we don't, that we have, that we don't want to lose and we give it away. I remember one Christmas we had this event that we would get together with extended family. I don't know if y'all do this stuff, but we do this stuff. And so we get together with extended family and we give gifts to people we see once a year, right? We won't see them the rest of the year. They don't need a gift. They're not going to think about our gift. But this year we decided we're going to take something that is really important and valuable to us that we already have that has been meaningful to us in our lives. We're going to give that to these people we see once a year. I was like, are you kidding me? Are you joking? Now, I'm a pastor, right? I'm not supposed to talk this way or think this way, but this is the way I'm like, are you joking me? 
I, I want to keep it. If it's meaningful and valuable to me, I want to keep it. And, and I'll give it to somebody I'll see, you know, regularly. And I really care about, but people I don't ever see, I'm not going to give it to them. They don't care. Because sacrifice is always difficult, right? Sacrifice always works against pleasure. And so even though the majority of people in the world will seek pleasure, that will be the thing that they worship and they'll do anything to get it. They realize that it's very empty. And at the end of the day, it cannot hold their worship. But the things that are worthy require sacrifice. And one of the reasons I truly believe, we're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks. One of the reasons I truly believe the scripture talks so much about sacrifice is because God knew this would be our challenge. He built us this need to worship. We were going to worship the wrong things. And so I'm going to instill some behavioral expectations of you that will make you fight the temptation to worship something else. Sacrifice makes us fight the temptation to worship pleasure. Back to Romans 12. I appeal to you by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't worship other things, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may, have, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Because remember, God is worthy of our worship. He lives in the heavens. He can do whatever he wants. Everything lives according to his wishes. His will is good, acceptable, and perfect. So if we are to become like what we worship, why not worship the thing that leads to what is good and acceptable and perfect? Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, yet again, fighting against the temptation to seek pleasure as your object of worship. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Because when we worship him, we become more like him. It is Christ in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So how do I wrap this up with this neat little tidy bow? I don't know that I can. I hope that you've heard my qualifications and warnings. To say well, nobody should play football. Nobody should want to have any pleasure in their lives. Nobody should... If you're, get, if you're getting successful, kill whatever you're doing. So there's no chance that you're worshiping. I, that is an extreme measure to go. And for whatever reason, the church likes to operate in extremes. We don't want to do this, so we'll go way over here. And God says, no, this is where I want you. I hope you hear me saying, if you love football, that's fine to love football. Just don't love football more than anything else in your life. If you love work, it's fine to love work. In fact, it's a blessing that you love your work. However, don't love work more than anything else in your life. Don't admire it. Don't think about it. Don't put it in a place of worship. It's not worthy. So how do you know what you are worshiping? Here's a, just a simple question for you to can grapple with over the next few days before we get back together next week. And it's simply this question what do you most want to become? What do you most want to become? What is that dream of what your life would be or will be or should be or hopefully will be? 
What is that dream? That's what you're worshiping. Do you hope to become more like Christ? Whenever you're faced with a relationship that you have to respond out of sacrifice in order to act the way Christ would want you to act, because really what you want to do is, you know, flatten them. That's what I want to do to you, but he says to love you and okay. Or turn the other cheek. Are you kidding me? I may turn my cheek so you miss right before I come back and catch you on the other side. Because it's sacrifice to worship the good things. Sacrifice to do that. What do you most want to become? Do we read through Scripture and we find the works of the the apostles and the works of the early Christians? Do we look at Jesus' life and what he taught and do we say, that's what I want. That's what I'll be, even if I've got to sacrifice some things that I really enjoy. Because that, that is what I want. It would be a lie for me to say that there's a quick prayer or there's a, a verse to read or a devotional book you can buy that would make this happen without any pain whatsoever. But there's not. There is a certain amount of pain involved sacrificing some things that we do find pleasure in for things that are better. So my encouragement to you would be this. Find what is better. Find what is better. God truly is better. Pursue what is worthy. God is worthy. Pursue that. Whatever it is that is in your dreams. Now, let me just, one other caution. I just want to be very careful when we talk about worship, not to jump off the deep end. For some of you, God has given you a vision for a life that he wants you to pursue. And you are so excited about it, you can't hardly stand it. Awesome. Awesome. Maybe God has given you. I I remember my dad saying, I never had this experience in my life. My dad, when he was in middle school, knew he wanted to be a dentist. And he was a dentist, and he was a great dentist. He knew in middle school he wanted to do that, and he pursued it. I never had that. And I never knew that. I just knew I didn't want to be a dentist. That's all I knew, right? I had to put my hand in people's mouths. Forget it. I'm out. Maybe you've got a dream of a job that you're doing and it has nothing to do with church work because somehow, right, being a missionary or a preacher is somehow more spiritual except whenever it's 25 degrees outside and the fact that Danny fixes heat and air units, I'm really glad he's got that job when my heat and air unit goes out, right? I'm not calling a missionary when we're freezing to death. I'm calling Danny. We have to be so very careful that the conversation about worship does not become about some super spiritual nonsense no one will ever reach. But those things that we most value in life, beyond your work, beyond success, beyond your hobbies, is it to become more like Christ. He is worthy to be worshipped. This is what I want to close with. Choose carefully what will take center stage of your life because you will live on that stage for the rest of your life. Choose carefully what's going to be center stage. So your priorities and the things that you're focusing on, that's setting the stage in which you're going to live the rest of your life. Don't get to the end of it and realize you hated the other actors, you hated the props, you hated the backdrop, 
you hated the whole thing, but you lived your life on it because that's where you put the desires of your heart. Put it to a place that can hold it. Wherever, whatever you're worshiping is setting the stage for the rest of your life to be lived out on. And remember this, what we worship, we will become. What are we becoming? I want to pray with you and I hope that you'll join us for the next couple of weeks. Next week, we're going to be talking about this really more in depth. What does it look like when the things that we have worshipped begin to consume us and not in a good way? Let me talk about that next week, and I hope you'll come back. Let's pray. Father, God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy in the days that I truly am focused on all the wrong things. God, I thank you for your grace in the days that I just have completely missed it. And I just become overwhelmed with frustration and depression. All those things that just convince me I have put something at center stage that's not worthy of it. God, I pray that those, that every person in this room would have an incredible vision of a life that you have laid out for them. That they could be excited about and that they can love. Full of relationships and great experiences and events but that you would help us to maintain those things that we admire most, that we give reverence to most, we would maintain that in you. God, let us be consumed with who you are, not be consumed by the, by the false gods and idols that we put before you. And help us to burn with a passion to become like you. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.